Alrighty, so this is the cost of the discipleship, night two. Um, last week, Miles talked through the salvation material, and, well, he preached through salvation material, and the uh, Lordship of Christ material. Um, and so we're going to start it off in the seven marks of a disciple. Um, so, yeah, I hit it. Um, and real quick, do you want to pray for us all once you're done? Let me just keep talking for a second until you're done swallowing, still chewing, then... Okay, and then Miles, do you want to pray for us? And then we'll, we'll get right into it. Lord, we thank you so much um, just to be here safely, Lord, to be with brothers and sisters, to have a good meal. Lord, for this time, uh, we pray that you uh, would make us attentive, God, that we... Uh, would listen to, to what your your word has to say about discipleship, God. Um, that we truly count the cost of what it means to be a disciple of Christ, Lord. And um, that we spend time uh, processing that and what that means for us and for the remainder of our life, Lord, and uh, how we, we live for you, God. Um, Lord, we pray for Uriah, Lord, as he, he preaches this material, Lord, that you uh, would give him confidence, Lord, that you'd embolden him uh, to, to, to pro- proclaim your word, Lord. And, uh, so a little preface this um, section of cost of discipleship is probably the the meanest like it's not mean but it's gonna, it's gonna say some things and then talk about some things that you're, you're probably gonna have to take a second to deal with you know this is um, kind of probably where we start talking about counting the cost, like, you know, understanding that being a disciple of Jesus comes with a cost, comes with a price. And so this is kind of those different things. Um, and so I love you. I love you. And Jesus loves you. We all love you. We're here for you. Um, you know, hopefully that's not necessary to say, but um, it is going to be hopefully um, a little serious and soberly um, causing you just to think soberly about what, what it means to be a disciple. And so the cost of discipleship, um, the Lord Jesus Christ is the master teacher on the sub- subject of discipleship. Therefore, whatever conclusions arrived at about it must be solely based on what he has stated, not a modified version that sounds or seems more reasonable to the 21st century mind. Through his teachings on the subject, we are able to clearly extract seven marks, identifiers of a disciple. These are seven truths that are sure to be found in the life of every true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, Mark 1 is a disciple of the Lord Jesus loves him more than anyone. Um, And a lot of these marks come from uh, all over the place, but Luke 14... Luke 14, sorry, um, is like the home passage. And so if, if you want to have your Bibles there, we'll flip around and I'll, I'll just read off a lot of verses as we go through. But Luke 14 is typically going to be where we start from. And so a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ loves him more than anyone. And so if you want to pick it up in Luke 14, verses 25 and 26. It also might be in your handout. I'm not sure. 
Um, and there went great multitudes with him, that him being Jesus. And he turned, Jesus, and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now we're like, whoa, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> Did you just say, I didn't know that was in the Bible. That's kind of weird to me. Um, and yes, that's, that's a verse in the Bible. It's a verse that, you know, we fully stand. It's not, it's not mistranslated. It's not anything that I need to hurry and try to cover up or hide you or, you know, flip away real quick so you don't see that. Um, he really said that uh, if any man come to me and hate not his father and lists all these family members and all these friends and brothers and sisters and his own, and his own self, he cannot be my disciple. Now, you know, as that sinks in, Wait, that still can't be right. <laughs> and and, and it, I would agree, it, it's, it comes with some context. We have to take that and look through the rest of the Bible and try to figure out what he's, he means right here. You know, the danger of any Bible study is reading a verse and then just taking that verse and running with it and not consulting the rest of what God had to say. That's where any heresy typically is going to start from. Some guy reading some mystical verse that really, you know opens up his mind, or maybe not, maybe it just is the average day guy, and they're like, wow, that's a really powerful verse, but they don't cross-reference it, or compare scripture with scripture, um, so that's what we're going to do here, culturally, culturally speaking, uh, love for family, especially parents, was deeply strong during this time, it's, it's the eastern side of the world where, you know, a lot of Asian cultures, and Middle Eastern cultures, they just, they really care about the family, and it's not, here it's kind of weird if you move in with your parents or, or your parents move in with you. It's kind of like looked down upon, like, oh, you live with your mom? <laughs> You're not an adult, you know? And it maybe in some cases you don't need to be doing that. But, you know, typically it's like they take care of their family. They, they're going to they're gonna be raised by their parents. Once they have a, a job and a, and a family, they're going to invite their parents to come live with them, and then they're going to repay their parents. And so this is a very powerful verse for Jesus to, to say. It's a very powerful thing for him to say. Because culturally, he's saying something pretty radical. Um, but, but exactly what does he mean by hate? And so we know, you know, you take a step back and think about what, what, has, God, what has God told me already to do? You know, it, it seems like that verse would be in like the satanic Bible. You know, you need to hate everyone and then you can follow me. But, uh, <laughs> um, but it's true, it's true, it's true. So Exodus 20, verse 12 says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord God, the Lord thy God giveth thee. Um, Mark 10, 34 says, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Uh, for I am come to set a man at variance against his father. You know, like, like butting heads and disagreement, variance. Uh, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Ephesians 5.25 um, says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church uh, and gave himself for it. So just there, you know, we have some things that we, we, we can balance out what this verse is saying, right? We kind of have our plate full, so now we can see what he's laid out for us. He says, you know, love your neighbor, 
that's, you know, and even with discipleship, we, we talked about it today, you know, people will know that you follow Jesus because of your love, right? That's, that's a characteristic of being a Christian, a right Christian. And then it says, honor thy father and mother. Not, it doesn't say, hate thy mother and father, that the days may be long. You know, it says, honor them. And it says, husbands, love your wives. It doesn't say, husbands, hate your wives. Or, yeah, that's right. And so, comparing all these together, it must mean something in agreement. You know, the Bible doesn't, the Bible doesn't ever disagree with itself. There's no contradictions. There's a, there's a class in D2 called apparent contradictions, mm-hmm. where we, we take these things that look like they, they don't make sense and that they're opposites of each other, and actually when you walk through them in, in Bible study, you, you learn that it's, it's all saying what God wanted it to say, and it doesn't actually look... Anyways, this is sort of like that. Um, but really what he's saying, what Jesus was conveying to the great multitudes, uh, was that love for him and devotion to him was to be unparalleled to any other earthly relationship. Um, it's not... I mean, I'm not trying to downplay uh, what the verse says. It, it, it may look like, you know, and I'm going I'm to pick on, you know, this is recorded. I'm going to pick on somebody in the crowd. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it may look like, uh, you know, there's some families that, you know, it, and I'm not going to go into the history, but it can come through. <laughs> It can get to a point where, where family is the most important thing for you. You know, and it's not, I'm not trying to talk bad about that person um, or any person that's arrived there, you know. But say somebody is, you know, they, they're, they wind up in this place, you know, church has done them wrong, where house, house church is their thing. And so the danger of a house church, this is just an example. Uh, the danger of a house church when you are the father and the pastor uh, and you have a large you know, family that is your church basically is those roles blend together and some things that are true of the father aren't supposed to be true of the pastor and some things that the pastor is supposed to be it's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't translate into being the father and so some things end up blending and then what we talked about earlier and it, with, with Brandon is that or maybe it was with Kenny I don't know. But the local church is absolute necessity for you for you to you have to have all three things, right? Jesus is this guy who's inviting disciples to follow him. The the equivalent to walking with Jesus now is walking in his word, in his spirit, and in his local church. Yeah. That's what he left us to replace yeah. himself. Yeah. Um, and when you when when you walk away from that, when you remove you know, the local church, or when you remove the spirit, or when you remove the Bible, the Bible, um, you put yourself in jeopardy of getting into a position where you start seeing the world wrong. And so, in that case, being a disciple of Christ for a specific child in that family may look like, you know, you hating them. You know, it's, it's, it's so important for that person, um, that figure, to be honored to be respected, to be on the same level as local church. You know what I mean? It's not, because to him it looks different. You know what I mean? Um, But being a disciple of Christ has to be the preeminent place. You know, it it can't be, I need to go pay respects to, you know, my, my, it's my brother-in-law's birthday party tonight. You know, and if I was in a place where family was the most important thing, 
They're like, well, I, you know, I need to go be with my family. It's his, you know, birthday party, which I love Taylor and I care about him. I'm not saying I'm like hating him or anything, but it might look like that to somebody who isn't as cultured in the word or isn't as you know established in their walk with Jesus. It may look like, you know, I'm, I don't care, you know, about my family, and I only care about the church. Or I only, you know, I only care about Jesus, and I'm at the church all the time, and I don't have time to. Yeah. That's what being a disciple of Jesus means, you know. And I'm not saying come waste your time at church. You know, you don't want to just be at church. You want to be here for the right reasons. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're here every Tuesday, if you're here every Sunday, if you're here, you know, every if you're at a Bible study every other week, you better be doing those in the right reason, or else you are wasting a lot of your time. Yeah. yeah. So. That's I don't know. That's really far over here. Back to the back to the notes. Um, no other relationship could rival that relationship with Jesus, and no other relationship was to ever exceed it in preeminence. Um, and this is exactly what is found in a true disciple. No one, including self, is loved first or greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. It has to be stated, understood, and accepted that following the Lord Jesus Christ demands that he is the preeminent relationship. That's good. Um, so, Colossians 1.18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He might have that, that position where he is the one that matters. You know, it's really cool that we get to walk through this material, excuse me, uh, right after family camp, because Mark Trotter hit on a lot of things that I'll probably reference. Yeah. But, you know, that scale where he laid out, it makes it easier for me. I don't have to explain as much. But he, he laid out that scale of, like, you know, I'm, I have my life, you know, and then sometimes Jesus, or I have this life, and then Jesus is everything else. Or, you know what I mean. And then Andy's like, well, I don't have a life anymore. I, I died. I was baptized, buried with Christ, and wrote, you know, Jesus is my life. I mean, that's what it has to be. That's what the preeminent relationship means. Is that, you know, I don't have a life. Like, who, who am I to make a decision based on what I think is right? You know, I only make decisions as a disciple of Christ. He is my preeminent relationship. He is the first thing I consult. He's the first thing I care about. He's the first thing I think about whenever um, I think about anyone else. I'm trying to stay in the point. Uh, I, a disciple of the Lord Jesus loves him more than anyone so anytime I'm thinking about any other person, you know, I have to reference that to Jesus Christ. Even, even my wife, you know, I, my life is supposed to be laid down loving her as Jesus laid, laid down the church. More than loving her, I need to love Jesus first. Amen. Or else I'm doing her a disservice yeah. as a leader. Um, Matthew 4, 19 through 22, says, And he saith unto him, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James and the sons of Zebedee. This is Jesus, you know, building his disciples. He's, he's calling, he's seeing these 12, in the end, guys that he's inviting to join him. Uh, these sons of Zebedee and John, his brother, uh, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Uh, Matthew 8. 21 through 22, says, And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Uh, he said, 
But Jesus said unto him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their dead. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is not uncommon for people to indicate that they want to grow as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, only to see that desire quenched once it is realized that a relationship must be dethroned. Mm-hmm. So you must be willing to place Jesus first. Um, James and John walked off the fa- their father's boat. They walked away from the family business. They walked away from their job. They walked away from, you know, and we're talking about loving him more than anyone. So maybe their employer or maybe their families who depended on them bringing home fish. Or maybe, you know, we have to think about what this meant, that they left the thing that they did every day, the income that they depended on. Maybe what their family, you know, even themselves, like, that's how they got food, in the very least, I can safely infer, you know. (laughs) It's like, uh, they walked away from that immediately to follow Christ. You know, we're, so putting it in perspective that he has to be the preeminent relationship. And so, even if that means some people need to be dethroned, you know, and, and, and we're familiar with this, our heart, you know, and it's like a throne room in there. You know, it's easy to think about, and you know, there's a there's a chair here, which is like the preeminent chair, and we need to have Jesus sitting there, and usually we have like things scattered around, like you know, other idols and a backpack and a trash can. But um, you know, sometimes we have our father sitting in that chair, or sometimes we have our girlfriend or our employer, or you know, sometimes we have the wrong person in that chair Um, and that's something we need to consider moving forward and being a disciple is examine that chair and make sure that it's Jesus who's sitting there Um, so here are some common relationships that challenge the Lordship of Christ Um, we've already talked a lot about family Um, Matthew 10 verse 36 says in a man's foes shall be they of his own household Not all parents and family will celebrate the Lordship of Jesus Christ in the life of a disciple. Um, In some cases, they will demand that it be not so. Um, The key to dealing with family is to view family as Christ did. Um, And we see that in Matthew 12, verses 47 through 50. Uh, Then one said unto him, Behold, thy father and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. This is somebody talking to Jesus. Um, and he answered, Jesus responded, and said unto them that told him, Who is, who is, who is my mother? Uh, and who are my brethren? Uh, and he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. You know, uh, for, for whosoever shall do the will of my father which is in heaven... The same as my brother and sister and mother. You know, that's why we, we talk about um, brother so and so, or you know, in some cases they they call priests fathers. You know, like it's not. I mean, it's, it's bad. <laughs> Typically, <laughs> now when you think of somebody calling someone father so and so, it's not in the right context. But I should be able to, you know, with. The, the right attitude, I should be able to call Sam my father. I should be able to call Brandon my father. These guys are spiritual fathers, and that, that's what we get this from, the, the household of Christ, the sons of God, the sons and daughters of God. Um, 
you guys, once you have walked through and worked through the salvation and lordship of Christ, you enter into that family, you know? We're, we're not of our father, the, the devil, anymore. Amen. We're of father, you know, God, father, Jesus Christ. And so we all are in the same family. And that's what, and that's what he said to do um, back in Exodus 20, verse 12. And Ephesians 5, 25 says, honor thy father and mother. Um, husbands, love your wives. And so, um, yeah, really examine, I guess, the relationships that you have with your family. And is your heart right there? Is there a relationship or is there a group that is more preeminent than Christ? That's something that you're supposed to walk through, that you need to walk through in order to be a disciple of Christ. The next group is friends. Um, Proverbs 30.20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Um, 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. And uh, communications here um, is referencing uh, the, the word companionship. That's why it moves on to that in your notes. <clears throat> but uh, it's, it's doing that in, in the same way as, um, in the same way as uh, when somebody talks about your conversation <coughs> as your life. I don't know if you've heard that happen before, but sometimes... In the Bible, when it's talking about your conversation, it's talking about your life. You know, yeah. Just what your life looks like. What does your life communicate? What's your conversation? Let your conversation be Jesus. Um, so that's the same way it's saying, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Evil companionship corrupts good manners. So when you are with the wrong friends, that will corrupt you. you know? When you're with the right friends, that will be uh, wise. Second uh, Corinthians six fourteen says, "Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he uh, that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols?" For ye are the temple of the living God, as God saith, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So, this is then working into um, being unequally yoked. You know, we know that we do have fellowship with the unbeliever, yeah. but not in a sense of, like, they're my companion, or they're my, my life partner, or they're my, my go-to, my, you know. You have to start to understand and start to see that those things will corrupt you if you're tied to that in the wrong way. Because now, being freed from condemnation, being filled with saving power, your relationship to darkness is to share that freedom. Yeah. It is to bring the light that Jesus has given you to that darkness. It changes the relationship you have. And so to, to yoke yourself to that darkness <coughs> would actually do you a disservice. Whereas now, well, yeah, that would do you a disservice because now you can't be tied to that. Um, you need to be following Christ, and you need to be inviting them to follow Christ with you, but you can't be in a position where you're 
you know, depending on them, or they can only get as far as you can get, and, you know, be not unequally yoked. Um, James 4, verse 4 says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And so, um, enmity um, in this verse, if you look at it, um, is it on your guys' notes? James 4 4. Okay, so look at it and tell me where the middle point of the verse is. I like the divider. What, what, yeah, what divides, what divides the verse into two parts? Question mark. Right. I was also practicing. He needs drink distraction. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so it says, it does break into two parts. I was going to talk about this. I didn't just make that up. So, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. What the heck does enmity mean, you know? And so what this verse does is it says here, this is what it means. If this doesn't make sense, I'm going to give you something else that directly defines what I just said. And so if you look on that second part, he says, Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Yeah. And so you literally just take that and you lay it over the first part, and that's exactly what the first part means. You know. Um, so know you not that friendship of the world is enemy with God. So... Do you know that if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God? That's, that's what it means. <coughs> and so enmity, or hostility, or, you know, being an enemy, um, yeah, that's what that means. This has proved to be one of the greatest hurdles to following Christ. Many believers have indicated that they want to follow Jesus, but they wish to do so while being in a dating relationship with an unbeliever, living with a girlfriend or boyfriend. Maintaining a lifestyle of fornication, which is sex outside of the God-ordained institution of marriage between one man and one woman, or walking with the lost and engaging in their lost way of thinking, speaking, and living. We must be clear that that is not discipleship. That is not what a disciple of Jesus lets their life look like. Um, This is blatant disobedience to the Word of God. And this is a Midtown policy right here. I don't know if it says that in your notes, but it says, Without exception, at Midtown Baptist Temple, we will not attempt to disciple anyone who is yoked to an unbeliever in a dating relationship, living with a boyfriend or girlfriend, or living a life in fornication. Or living a life uh, ungodly, or living an ungodly life with unbelievers. That one's probably negotiable depending on your circumstances. <clears throat> so the first mark of a disciple, um, I took a long time for that one, um, is that we see that Jesus is the preeminent relationship. Yeah. All other relationships pale in comparison to the love and devotion the disciple has for him. Any relationship that displeases the Lord should be set in its right place. Any relationship that is biblical uh, <coughs> Uh, is biblical in rebellion before God is worth dissolving immediately. Um, beware any relationship that Satan will use to attempt to overthrow your fellowship with the Lord. Um, can you say that your relationship with Jesus is preeminent before all other relationships? 
is there anyone or anything that you need to reprioritize or break up with? Okay, let that sink in, but not too long. Mark 2. <coughs> A disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ will follow him unconditionally. So, my pages are okay. Cool. Luke fourteen. Back to our home passage, verse twenty-seven. Thank you. Um, Luke fourteen, verse twenty-seven. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. <clears throat> and so, a good leader never demands anything from others that they themselves have either not done, is doing, or willing to do. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ bore his cross and demands the same from those who are truly his disciples. David Guzik, no idea who that is, um, said, In these 20 centuries after Jesus, we have done a pretty good job in sanitizing and ritualizing the cross. Yeah. I, don't know who he, I don't know who he is, but that's a good quote. Um, so I left it in there. Um, in Jesus' day, the cross was not sanitized or ritualized. You know, the way we talk about the cross now is very lovey-dovey oftentimes. Or, you know, we, we think about it as like a, a tattoo. Or, sorry, you know what I mean? Or like, a, you know, like flat, we like bring flowers to the cross. Or, you know, it's like... I'm going to dance on it and, you know, let my kids play on it. Or, I don't know what we look at it as, but it's, back then, that's, that's not what the cross was. It meant something very real. Um, in Jesus' day, it was an instrument of torture. Um, torture was still very real. You know, he was tortured on the cross. We don't look at it like that because we don't really, torture doesn't really happen in my everyday life. I don't really come in contact with a lot of torture. Um... So it's a little understandable, but very important to keep it in context. Jesus was tortured on the cross. Um, it was torture for the criminal to be carried to the location where they would be crucified. He had to carry his torture device to his crucifixion. As this individual carried their cross, they would have been taunted and reminded of their crimes by a hostile crowd. Um, for the criminal, there would have only been one word associated with the experience of bearing their cross, death. Um, this is a drastic contrast to what many associate discipleship with today. Um, when we think about discipleship, we think about um, following Jesus unconditionally, uh, we think, well, what's, what's it look like to be a disciple of church, a disciple of Jesus? I did what Sam did. Gave away the answers. But what's it look like? Um, it looks like, you know, maybe I'm going to take classes. Um, the belief that discipleship is equal to amassing volumes of information about the Bible by taking classes or completing Bible studies or um, going through Bible college and seminary. You know, it's, it's the clean and the easy way to look like a disciple. That must be what a disciple is, to know a lot. Or it looks like going to church. That's what being a disciple is, right? It's, it's being a member of a church or attending a church regularly um, where the worship is nice and I, I feel good afterwards and 
I have lots of friends that will say nice things to me, and I say nice things to them, and we have this weird friendship <laughs> with our lives, but then we don't ever hang out outside of church and don't really have anything in common. <clears throat> that's, the, that's the light and the, the comfortable way of looking at being a disciple. Um, and that's, that's, that's just what it is. It's, it's comfort and it's convenience. Um, that's what we see being a disciple as nowadays. That's what the modern world would say being a disciple of Jesus is. It's, they don't think about the reality of what it means. They think about something comfortable, and something convenient, something that they're going to add to their life because that's just what they decided to do and it's what makes them feel good. you know. But... Um, this is not what it looks like to be dead. You know, it's not, that's not what it looked like when Jesus was carrying his cross to his torture and bleeding out and dying so that we wouldn't have to go to hell. Um, that's, that's not at all you know, what we like to talk about being a disciple as being. And it's, it's easy for us um, today to forget about that. The reality is that Jesus never shielded anyone from the, the, from the reality of what would be involved in following him. Um, he was very clear. The word of God is also consistent uh, in its teaching about what it means for someone that follows the Lord. And so, <clears throat> unconditionally is what we're talking about. You will follow him no matter what. No matter what the condition is, I want to be a disciple. Uh, Matthew eight nineteen through 20 <clears throat> says, A certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said, said, saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds uh, of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Doesn't sound very comfortable. Uh, Matthew 14, verses 9 through 10. And the king was sorry, nevertheless for the oath's sake. And them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her. Uh, so this is, um, oh, what's his name? No, it's the king. Herod. Herod, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is Herod right before he gets turned into worms, basically. Maybe a different Herod. It's Herod. He's a wicked king. Um, and he, he, he sins, and he has John beheaded. Um, that's <laughs> it's not very comfortable. It's not very easy. It's not very clean. It's not very nice. You know, there was a guy beheaded because he was a follower of Jesus. Um... Mark 13, verse 9 says, But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten. Ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. Yeah, um, yeah that doesn't sound very nice. <laughs> doesn't sound very fun. Doesn't sound like going to church, singing the songs that I like. Um, going and playing Foxbox with my friends, getting a little angry maybe, you know, going home, eating pizza. You know, these guys were beaten for what they believed. They, they didn't have the, the freedom to come to church, you know, and just have a good time and then go do whatever they wanted. They, there was a price to pay for following Jesus unconditionally. And they, they were willing to do that. They were willing to sacrifice their bodies for that. Um... Yeah, in Acts 5, um, they were basically, another group of guys was threatened um, that they would be beaten. And uh, 
they rejoiced because of that. They're like, sweet. <laughs> Jesus got to be beaten, and I'm going to be able to suffer like Jesus suffered. You know, they, they were happy, and they went right back to it. It was like, awesome. Thanks for the good news, man. <laughs> people were really confused. Um, and then also, like, there was a time when Paul who, you know, followed Jesus Christ unconditionally as a disciple. Well, not one of the 12 disciples, but an apostle. Disciple in what we're talking about. Um, He was taken outside of the city and stoned, and he might have died, you know. There's some inference that could have happened that he died and was resurrected, but he was stoned maybe to death and walked right back into the city and kept preaching the gospel and kept doing whatever he needed to do to be a disciple, you know? Um, And that's um, quite the opposite of what we think about. And the Bible tells you that that's probably going to happen to you also. Um, Maybe you you will be killed. That is a possibility. Maybe you will be beaten. Maybe people will threaten you. Um, and that's something you have to decide that Jesus Christ is worth following for. You know, That's something that you need to count the cost of. This isn't something that's just convenient. This isn't a lifestyle that's just comfort and prosperity and wealth. Um, you could potentially not have somewhere to lay your head. You could be sleeping you know, on the ground. But is being a disciple of Jesus Christ worth it? That's what you need to be asking yourself. Second uh, Timothy 3, verse 12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Um, that sounds <laughs> pretty promising. <laughs> There's not a lot of room for not suffering persecution. Mm-hmm. When he says, ye... Wait, he actually, back up, he says... All shall suffer persecution. Um, Fill in the blanks, but he's talking about you. Um, This requires us to lay down our rights, um, our life in following Jesus. Um, Our decision to take up our cross and follow Jesus is the mark of a true disciple of Christ, following him versus making a life for ourselves. Um, There's a book called... um, Born Crucified, and it's by L.E. Maxwell. If you want to, re- that's I have. I wrote in a recommended reading. If you want to read that, I would recommend reading it. No, you have to. You'd have to like. I would say it, and you'd write it down. <laughs> Born Crucified. L.E. Maxwell. <clears throat> I wasn't trying to make you look silly. Sorry, Lydia. Huh? I wasn't trying to make you look silly. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I okay. I didn't, I can't change your notes. They're the cost of discipleship notes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, it's a super good book, and it talks about what it means to die with Christ. Um, I like the analogy. I'd like to draw it, but I won't. Um, Maybe I will. Do it. Uh, no, I won't. So, like, you as a disciple of Christ 
are like a seed. You know, in that verse it talks about if the seed never dies, then it's never brought into life. But what I like to kind of contrast it to is that you being the seed, there's a lot of steps before you're a fruitful plant. You know what I mean? There's a lot of steps for that seed to become a plant. And the first step is you take that seed and you put it underground and you bury it. Yeah. So, spiritually, I take, I myself am put under spiritual ground within Christ and I'm buried. Like, I have to die. That is step one. Die. Um, spiritually. And be <laughs> reborn. I mean, you need to, you know, keep it in context or else this could be weird. <laughs> but the Christian has to die first. Yeah. Jesus was resurrected, and that's, that's the next steps. But you have to be buried first. You have to lay down everything. Dying looks like everything else stops. Only what happens after death is what is given. There's, there's nothing that you can do in death. You've stopped. It's the end of all things you. And so after death, after you're buried, whatever happens beyond this, I'll draw it. Get up here. So there's your seed. That's you. That's me. You. Okay, and so you have to be buried, and so this is everything else, and this is this is death that cuts you off because you're buried, you're dead. Um, and then what happens is new life happens, and then if you you know we're all actually dead, you know, in the earth. Like if you're not saved, then you're just in death. Until you it, you're, you actually realize that you were dead this whole time, you know what I mean? Maybe you don't. So you end up, but you end up getting roots, and you have this nice root system, and you know this is like the word of God and the church and uh, the spirit. And then what what Jesus does is he resurrects you, and you become this plant. And then you have the four goals, which end up being like your decorations. <laughs> Your plan, and then once you have the four goals of the believer and, and the new life of Christ, so now you have new life, which is in the earth, you know, which is it's once it's died, now you can come back to being up here. Now you're a plant, and only then, once you have all these four goals and all these things, you can, you can be fruitful and you bear fruit, and then more seeds die, and then they become plants too. Cool drawing, right? Yep. Thank you for Thanks. Yep, you're welcome. Um, Galatians 6.14 says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. So God forbid that I take credit for any of this up here, because I, ha I'm, I died. Anything after I was buried is what was given to me by Jesus Christ anyways. Um, in light of this truth, it might seem as if following, following the Lord Jesus as a disciple is a miserable experience. It might seem like that, you know, being beaten, being killed, having your head chopped off. You know, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun, if we're honest. You need to be honest. <laughs> it must be understood that biblical discipleship emulates the life of Christ on earth, which emphasized total consecration to God no matter the cost. Um, there's some verses there. Therefore, a disciple should expect to experience what Jesus experienced. Do you think Jesus is having a miserable time right now? No. Absolutely not. He's 
seated in heavenly places right next to the Father. He gets to talk to his friends all day long. Um, he gets to be a part of everything good that happens. He gets to be praised. He gets to be worshipped. He, he gets to be exalted. He knows. I don't know what time is like for him, but it's probably he's not waiting a long time. He knows that he's going to be glorified in truth at any moment. Life is not miserable. It was absolutely worth it to him because of his love for us. And so that's the same thing we need to have. We have to understand that in this moment, it is absolutely worth suffering because once it's done, it's going to be an afterthought. You know, it seems like so much right now. Forever never ends. (laughs) That's a a big chunk. If you had like a graph, I don't know how you would fit our life on the graph next to forever. <laughs> I don't know how you make a graph with infinity. <laughs> they can't fit on anything. Um, so it's very minuscule. Yeah. Very minuscule. Um, <clears throat> and John 15 says that if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Mm-hmm. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world... But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they have kept, if they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Um, which, you know, they're going to hold on to what you say because they held on to what Jesus said. They were always questioning him, always attacking him, always like, well, you said this, what do you mean? You know, defend yourself. And he did, you know. But they're going to do that to you. They're going to scrutinize your life. Um, But all these things they they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. And so, taking up our cross isn't comfortable, but no worthy endeavor is. Right? When a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ loves him more than anyone, including self, the rejection and persecution from the world does not deter the disciple from coming after Christ. Um, The primary reason is that the love of Jesus Christ grows in the life of the disciple. Jesus, um, not comfort or man's approval, is seen as life's greatest treasure. The Apostle Paul, who penned the epistle to the Philippians as a prisoner at Rome, affirmed this when he said, um, But what things were gained to me, those I counted for loss, counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost, but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, mm-hmm. for, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. It is important to note that the Lord Jesus Christ does not abandon his disciple. Um, He doesn't abandon you in hardship. Um, He doesn't expect his disciple to be able to follow him unconditionally um, in the power of your flesh. He doesn't just say, follow me unconditionally and say, I'll be over here. Let me know when you catch up. You know, he says, follow me unconditionally and I will help you every step of the way that you have faith that I can do that. He says, follow me unconditionally, and even though they persecute you, even though you might suffer, I will, I will make it seem light unto you. I will take every burden that's heavy, and I will lift it off your shoulders. I will make 
this worth it? Um, I just need your faith. I just need that decision to follow me unconditionally. Um, <laughs> it's impossible for us to do that. Yeah. I, I can't follow Jesus. I'll get beaten up, and if it's in my own power, I'll be like, well, that sucked. I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> but when I have Jesus with me and when I have the Spirit, that's when I'm able to do that. That's when I'm able to see things as what they are. The world is temporary, or my body is physical. You know, um, The disciple is assured, though, throughout God's Word, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is with the disciple, empowering them to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of who or what, regardless of who or what comes against them. And so, are you as a budding, as a budding, you're right here, you're budding, you know, maybe I don't know where you are, but as a disciple, um, are you willing to follow Christ unconditionally, no matter what gets in the way, no matter what is offered to you, no matter what, no matter what happens to you, are you willing to count the cost and follow him unconditionally? John 16, 33 says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Mm-hmm. Romans eight thirty one. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Romans eight thirty five. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. Yeah. We are accounted of as sheep for the slaughter. Mm-hmm. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Yeah. Wow. 2 Corinthians 2.14 Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the Savior, the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Second um, Timothy 1.7 For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. What must you lay down in this world in order to take up your cross and follow Jesus? What is keeping you from following him? Are you willing to give it up and lay down your life to follow Jesus? Is there something in, in, in that chair that you need to take and get rid of? You know? Are you ready to give up your rights in this world to serve Christ? Will you daily live for Him? Oh, boy. I'm taking way too long. Uh, these ones go faster, I think, though. <laughs> I think they do now. Okay, Mark 3. <laughs> Mark 3 out of 7. <laughs> Mark, Mark 3. A disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ loves him more than anything. Not to be confused with Mark 1, which is love him more than any one. 
Now we're talking about loves him more than anything. Thing is your keyword. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have blanks. Am I, doing, am I doing okay in filling in your blanks? You're doing just fine. All right. I literally have no idea what your blanks are. <laughs> so, good thing. Um, so, back to Luke 14, um, our home passage for counting the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. Um, Jesus is talking to this crowd. You know, he realizes that there's a lot of people that are trying to be his disciple. He's like, I don't know, he's Je- I don't know what he's thinking, but he's Jesus, so he's like... <laughs> All these people do not actually want to be my disciple. I'm going to offer them some, some questions to really, you know, thin out this crowd because it's annoying having you all following me. But it says, um, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Mm-hmm. Or what king, going, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and counseleth, consoleth, whether he be able with 10,000 men, t- 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. It sounds like a very important thing to do as a king. I'm going to war. I have 10,000 soldiers. He has 20,000 soldiers. I need, I need to make sure it's worth going to war, because I don't like those odds, you know? Um, or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace, um, which would be the, the good decision, you know? You shouldn't have made war when he has doubled the army, you know? Seems like, I don't know, you shouldn't do that. So likewise, whosoever uh, he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And so this is basically what we're getting count the cost from. Um, It's, you know, he's saying, you guys are saying you want to be my disciple. Let's sit down. Let's look at our army. Let's look at what we're proposing. Let's see what's on the other side. Let's see what's coming. Let's see what this means. And let's count the cost. Let's see if we're actually able to do this. Because I don't want to spend the money getting all the concrete, you know, which is thousands of dollars, to pour a concrete you know, foundation. Before that, you, know, you, you have to plumb. You have to get the electrical. In. You have to do a lot of things before you have the foundation. And before you have the walls, and what's the point of spending all that money to only get walls and to never have a building? Mm-hmm. It would look like you wasted a lot of money for nothing. Yeah. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you want to be my disciple. That's what this class is. You want to be my disciple. Let's count the cost because, A, I don't want to see you waste all the money in getting halfway through directions, mm-hmm. and deciding you don't want to do this anymore. Right. Um, which, if that does happen, just come back when you're ready. You're not just, like, banned. But, um, you know, that's not, it's not going to be a Rose's decision for you to willy-nilly stop, come back whenever you want. Mm-hmm. Like, 
this is a serious thing. Um, we don't want to see that for you. And two, the discipleship relationship is a two-way street. Yeah. It requires somebody to be meeting you halfway on all the funds for that building or all the work that goes into that building and helping you build it. And it's just, you know, it's more of a waste for you to not have that building that you were trying to build, but it's also a waste for that person who spent all that time and energy trying to help you. So let's count the cost. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I don't think that's an unfair thing to do. You know, class sounds like, I just want to be discipled. I get it. Like, come on, just pair me up. <laughs> but, it's, you know, I think it's, a, it's warranted. You know, there have been a lot of, no one is the exception. Like, there's been a lot of people that dropped out. And so that's why this class has started, you know, because like, well, maybe people just don't understand what this means. <laughs> So, let's let them know. <laughs> Anyways, point one of Mark 3. Um, here we see the clear, deliberate nature of discipleship. There is some reckoning required beforehand. Um, so, this, do you have like an illustration in your notes about a trip and stuff? Oh, cool. I can do it every morning. Um, you don't have any blanks there? So, um, you know, this the illustration in here is like a, uh, it's like a uh, family trip. Um, but we really don't have, like, families or kids, you know. But still, we go on trips. So if you're preparing to go on a road trip and you're going to camp, and you're going to go with a few friends, and it's like across the country, you need to sit down and plan before you go. You need to, one, see if you have enough money <laughs> to fill up the gas in the car. You need to, two, see if the campground is available to take you and not requiring a four-night stay because it's Memorial Day weekend, and all of a sudden you can't stay one night. You have to stay four nights if you want to camp there. Um, that happened to me in Havala. Uh, so, yeah, you need to sit down, you need to plan, you need to understand, you know, how much money it takes to fill up your car in order to get there. You need to plan for what you're going to, are you going to drive through the night? Are you going to sleep somewhere halfway? Are you, you need to call the, the place that you're going to sleep and make sure you can. You know, it's a good idea. Um, you know, these things are, are things that we, you know, we, we kind of realize that we need to do. Um, or if not, you should realize that you need to. <laughs> and it's the same thing with discipleship following Christ. Essentially, um, that's the message of this Mark. Uh, Jesus links the process of counting the cost and following him beforehand. His point was and is the believer must know in advance that following him calls for the forsaking of all that we have. Um, the word forsaketh, uh, I thought I changed this, but I don't know. It means, <laughs> the word forsaketh means to say adieu, uh, which, in, which is to say farewell. Um, so, I'm, I thought I edited it. I don't know why it's still in my notes, but, yeah, say adieu, which is French, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. So <laughs> that's the same thing. Which is apparently supposed to reference something for you. <laughs> it just means forsaketh means to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to, you know, bye. <laughs> done with you. <laughs> not goodbye, like I'll see you again. Like, like the bye that's like, I'll never see you again. <laughs> I'm forsaking you. Um, and so that's what it means to say to the world in, in Luke 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath. If you don't say goodbye to everything that you own, everything that you have, you know, well, no, you need to do that. I worded that wrong. You have to say goodbye to everything that you have, everything that you own, your life, in order to be a, a proper disciple of Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, not only is the disciple to love him more than anyone, the disciple is to love him more than anything. That's yeah. the balance between the two marks. Money and possessions are two of the greatest competitors to loving the Lord Jesus Christ more than anything. Um, so, um, is that is that worth it to you? You know, do I care about money? Do I care about what kind of house I live in? Do I care about those things more than Jesus? That's the question on the table. Uh, Matthew six twenty four says, "No man can serve two masters." For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold on to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's another one of those uh, black and white yeah. statements where, like Mark Trotter was talking about, um, but uh, we look for middle ground, or like look for gray areas, when it says, <laughs> no man can serve two masters. I guess no man can serve two masters, <laughs> is my response. I guess I can't do that. You know, not like, oh, maybe I can. <laughs> like, no man can serve God and mammon. Like, there's nothing you can do that gets you around the supposition of that verse. I can't do this. You can't do this. So you have to decide what you're going to do. You have to pick one. Um, Luke twelve fifteen says, And he said unto them, Take heed, and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Possesseth. If you are coveting um, what you don't have, if you're wanting things that you don't have, if you're wanting things, you are not consecrated to Christ. Um, covetousness is the opposite of being satisfied. Yeah. Does that make sense? You know, we sing we sing songs about, oh man, I forgot about, I'll, go, I'll come back later. I'll work it back in. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but covetousness is the opposite. Huh? How much time's left? What? Three minutes. 30 minutes? 20, 22 minutes? You might well, he started at seven, seven so it's already yeah. 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 So you might have to, you might have to do some of these. That's okay. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> so being satisfied is the opposite. Yeah, being satisfied is the opposite of coveting. Um, so anytime you want something that you don't have or you want, anytime you want anything really that doesn't have to do with Jesus, you're not satisfied in Jesus. You're not satisfied with what he's given you. You're not satisfied with what he's provided for you. 
you're saying, I understand, maybe I don't understand. <laughs> I've taken for granted all that you've promised that you're going to do for me, that you know, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Once you've given your life to me, I'm going to live through you. I'm going to speak through you. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to give you my word. I'm going to give you my church. I'm going to give you accountability with the people around you. I'm going to love you through other people more than just loving you with me. I'm going to do all these things for you, but you want a jacket that I didn't give you? <laughs> you want you want a car that is quieter? Like stuff that doesn't matter, you know? So covetousness is a sign when you see covetousness in your heart, like, wow, I need to examine that because I'm not satisfied in Christ right here. Um, too often we let our blessings make us dumb. We get focused on the blessings instead of the blesser. Um, again, review. Paul said everything. He counted everything dumb in his life. You know, he counted everything lost for Christ. He counted the cost. Um, godliness with contentment is great gain. Yeah. Some believers do not follow wholeheartedly after the Lord Jesus because they have made their career Lord of all. Yeah. Um, the Word of God does not clearly, uh, well, the Word of God clearly does not advocate slothfulness. You have to work if you want to eat. He's not saying, you know, we can't have a job. You know, we need work. We need to do. That's the curse of the world. The man has to sweat. Metaphorically, maybe if you work in an AC, I don't know. <laughs> but you have to do these things now in order to earn money. And so he's not saying, I don't want you to have a career. But he's saying, those things have to be underneath me. You can't have your career. You can't have your dream. You can't have, like, what you feel like you would have the most fun or... <laughs> what you want or what your strengths fit. Like, well, what are you good at? Like, that's what you should do. I just want you to be happy. That's not what, that's not what having a job's about. Yeah, having yeah. a job is providing for what you need to do to be a disciple of Jesus. Right. Yeah. So, anyways. One of the common mistakes often made in discipleship is to accept a position that calls for the believer to work on Sundays and other days, times that often interfere with ministry in the local church. They might seem to work financially, but it's not good for spiritual growth. Um, over and over and over again. The discipleship relationship is hindered by all of a sudden, you know, halfway through, you get this dream job call, but it's, it's in Nebraska now. So now you have to move. Maybe we can Skype and finish the rest, and I'll be a disciple there. I'll find a church, whatever. You know, the, you know, the priorities there are backwards. Or all of a sudden, like, ex-girlfriend, boyfriend contacts you, and like, hey, I, I think... I think I've worked things out. Like, we could be good together. I miss you. <laughs> Jeremiah. <laughs> I just miss you rapping to me every night for bed. <laughs> um, but it has been demonstrated time and time again that believers who attempt discipleship while frequently missing the gatherings of church never follow the Lord Jesus Christ to their fullest potential. Um, so, wait a second. Okay. Wait, yeah, okay. Okay, um, Midtown Baptist Temple meets every Sunday. Um, well, typically, I guess we have that ice service. We pretty much meet every Sunday, um, maybe like 99%. Um, it starts at 9 a.m. in your fellowship class or main service, and then it flips. 10.45 is your main service or fellowship class. We meet every Tuesday, um, starting at 6. We have dinner together as a family. We have family dinner time. Right? It's 6 o'clock. And then the service starts in the main sanctuary at 7. 
These gatherings are critical to anyone following the Lord Jesus at Midtown Baptist Temple. You also want to be a part of a small group. Yeah. Uh, Mark 4. This says I have 23 minutes. I've only been recording for an hour and seven minutes. We could just be here until like nine if you guys want it. Just kidding. <laughs> um, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is useful to him. I'm going to start walking around now so I speed up. Um, so Luke 14, back to our main passage. Luke 14, verses 34 through 35. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? Why would you put salt on some food? Why would you even want salt if the salt doesn't do its job? If the salt doesn't make something salty, if the salt doesn't season the food, there's no point to put salt on it. Right? Okay. So, it is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. You know, if you have that salt, if you have a, if you have a thing of salt that is like that, that doesn't help your food, that doesn't do what it's supposed to do, you throw it in the trash. <laughs> That's what happens. And so... <laughs> Uh, the fourth mark of the disciple uh, is actually an introduction to the sixth mark. But uh, salt that has lost its savor is salt that has become insipid. Yeah, that is, if you don't know what insipid means, it means it is tasteless and it's become tasteless. Wait a minute. That is, it is tasteless. Insipid means that it's tasteless. Uh, and because it is insipid, it is therefore rendered useless. So while, while some angle to use this verse as a proof text to prove that the believer can in fact lose their salvation, that's completely false, you can never lose your salvation, you are sealed until the day of redemption, Amen. once Christ comes in, and, and it's a wax seal, figuratively, you, can't, you can tear off a wax seal on an envelope, but only Jesus can take off that seal, and he won't until he comes and gets you and brings you into heaven. Your salvation is permanent. If it is real, it is there, and you can trust and have faith in it till the day you die. Amen. Amen. Um, and even then on, you can, you know, infinity. But uh, the problem with that argument is that uh, it says men throw that out. You know, there's Bible study to this. I'm, I'm going to move past it because I don't we're running out of time. But uh, so at the highest level... Salvation is much more about Jesus than it is about you. Yeah. Um, he did a lot more than you had to do. Yeah. He, it required a lot more planning on God's part. It required a lot more action on Jesus' part. It, it, it's mostly about him. Very little is it me. You know, Like I said, the, the big, huge graph that you can't even graph because the, the one variable never stops. Um, I'm a very small part of that. Um, that's that point. And so, and the Lord spake unto Moses, and he said, Go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Mm -hmm. Huh. That doesn't sound like it has to do with them, really. Um, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves... <laughs> it's the gift of God. That sounds like he is the crucial point of that. That sounds like it's more about him. Yeah. Um, but in the great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and, and to some honor and to some dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself... Oh boy, okay. 
purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified in meat for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. If he made you a vessel, he wants to use you. There's no point for him having a vessel in his house that he fills with oil so that he can bring out on special occasions, like when, when, when Sarah's meeting with that one person that he really wanted to use you, you know, to, he really wanted to use that vessel to speak to that person. He, he said, you know, hey, there's this lady that I really want to share the gospel with, and I have this perfect vessel for it. It has the oil that's like a little bit lavender, and it's like really good this time of year. Like, I really want to use that. But if you take that vessel out, if you're not going to be the vessel that he, he specifically wanted that vessel, and if he can't use it, there's no, what's the point of, what's the point of salt that isn't salty? What's the point, you know? That's what I'm trying to say. Sarah, I'm not saying that you don't, you know, you're a good vessel, I don't know. Uh, We exist, we exist to satisfy the Lord's will. Notice the picture of judgment in verse 35. That picture of him, the, the men taking that salt out and throwing it, I, I think. Um, 35, I don't have the verse numbers. You can check me. While discipleship is the believer's choice, there are clear consequences for not doing so. The believer was and is clearly saved for the master's use, which begs the question, if a believer is useless to the master, what's the point for their existence? Yeah, that's good. You know, it's the same thing as, it's the Mark, I don't, I'm not going to preach through the Mark Trotter message, but, you know, you're, you're going to worship him in heaven, you're going to um, do all these things in heaven, you're going to, you're, everything that you want to do right now for the Lord, you're going to be able to do perfectly in heaven. So there's no point for you not to be in heaven except to be useful here. So if you're not going to be useful, someone else say it, I don't really want to say it, you're better off dead. Because once you're dead, you're in heaven. You know, that's not my message, so I don't come up with that. Uh, Okay, I think we can get through five, maybe. This one's shorter. It's shorter. They start, I, I said they start getting shorter, so. I still walk around, I think that's working. <laughs> I feel like we got through that one really fast. Just wasting yeah. my breath. <laughs> I'm out of breath. Yeah. I'm about to flip a chair or something. Stay tuned, stay tuned. <laughs> Alright. A disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is established in the Word of God. And we talked about the day today with Brandon. It's, it's one of the four goals for the believer to be established in the Word. Um, and this is sort of a review for that point. John 8, verses 30 through 32 says, As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus unto those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Yeah. In response to his teachings that he was, in fact, the Son of God, many Jews believed on him. We would refer to that today as professions of faith. We've, we'd call that salvation. That's what it means, believed on him there. Uh, but the Lord Jesus Christ, instead of just people believing on him and then him focusing on believing on him and getting more people to believe on him, salvations and salvations, it's cool that Brandon kind of already reviewed most of this stuff, but you saw that Eric in the demonstration, he was only able to get so and so many people to believe on him. But, the way Jesus exampled it, in discipleship, was that more people believe on him anyways. 
<laughs> you're focused on the whole picture. Does that make sense? Um, he, but the Lord Jesus Christ rapidly shifted from the profession of faith to the topic of discipleship. Um, and his message was, if they truly believed that he was who he said he was, that belief would translate into them continuing in his word as true disciples of him. This ought to serve as a sober warning to those who are content to simply make a profession of faith, but do not follow the Lordship, the Lord as a true disciple. At a minimum, they ought to examine the sincerity of their profession of faith. Mm. For those um, who are following him, it, it says, if ye continue in my word, for those that are following him, one of the evidences of discipleship is being established in the word of God. Yeah. The word continue in John 8.31 means to stay or to abide. The definition conveys permanence. You know, to stay and abide is the same thing as to dwell. Where John 15 means you are planted, there be, John 15 would be Jesus is like a tree and this is all happening inside of him, you know, or attached to him. He's the true vine. He is the true plant. And you're, but you, you dwell in him. This is something that's required to be a disciple. In the life of the disciple, the word of God is the fixed and sole final authority for living. Um, there is no bouncing back and forth between authorities. There's no, I'm going to follow the, the word after for a while, then I'm going to follow this. If, if you're a disciple, the word is your authority. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the word of God is perceived to be right concerning all things in the life of the disciple. If it, being perceived right means that you can read something that confuses you. That's okay. To have a question is okay. Yeah. But I still perceive that this is still right. This is yeah. still holy. This is still absolutely true. As a disciple, and being established in the Word, I'm going to figure it out because I know that this is right for me. You know, I know that it's probably on my end, honestly, because I'm not perfect, and He is. I'm not holy, and He is. I'm on earth, and He's in heaven. and So... Probably it's on my end. <laughs> uh, and Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. Uh, but if Baal, then follow him. You know, that's the definition of Laodicea, which you probably have heard a lot. Maybe you don't know what that is. There's seven churches in Revelations 3, 2 and 3, 3 and 4. It splits up. But the last church most commonly referred to is the age that we're in now is reference. Church of Laodicea, that's why you might hear that, is defined by not being hot or cold. Yeah. Not being, he's saying, like, just be hot if you want to be hot, or just be cold if you want to be cold. Yeah. Worship the Lord, or worship Baal. Like, make up your mind, because bouncing back and forth is doing nothing for you. Yeah. There's no point, you know? And so, he's saying the same thing to us. That's why that verse is applicable. The Word of God provides everything that the disciple needs to follow the master and honor him with their life. Yeah. Everything for that is found in the word of God. Um, how sweet, Psalm 119, how sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to, the, to my mouth. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. How do you take a leap of faith when the word of God is a light unto my path, and a lamp unto my feet. There's, 
What do you mean you're taking a leap of faith? What do you mean you just have to leave reason behind? What do you mean it's just a stop where all of a sudden, well, I'm just going to trust Jesus. (laughs) The Word of God shows you exactly where your feet are and exactly where you're heading. It's a light and it is a lamp. It illuminates the darkness. What darkness are you talking about? What cliff are you talking about? It's not there. The Word of God will show you. That's what it says. Read it. Matthew 4, 4, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. Tragically, many have prayed the sinner's prayer, uh, been baptized, joined a church, and have attended church for several years without ever being established in the word of God. The only interaction they have with the Word of God is during the corporate Sunday gathering. Being established in the Word of God means that that is read regularly, meditated on constantly, Mm -hmm. discussed frequently, studied diligently, and obeyed faithfully. You want to say that one more time? That last part? Yeah, the but. Um, Being established in the Word of God means that it is read regularly. It means that it is meditated on constantly. It means that it is discussed frequently, and it means that it is studied, wait, hang on, and it's studied diligently, and it means that it is obeyed faithfully. What? I'll I'll text you later. (laughs) Can you say that you value the word of God at a level that demands your constant and consistent pursuit of its truth? Can you say that? Count the cost. Don't really have. Well, this one says we have nine minutes. Go ahead. One more? I can try to keep going fast. Actually, these ones almost all fit on two pages. I only have this left. I only have two left. All right. Okay. You guys said I should. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to need consent. Yeah, I'm all about that. I don't know. All right, Mark 6. A disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is fruitful for him. Um, if you remember when we were talking about number 4. Um, yeah, that too. But number, remember I said number four is an introduction to number six? Like the salt is fruit. I think that, that was the one, the salt and then fruitful. Yeah. John 15, verse 8. says, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, yeah. so shall ye be my disciples. A useful disciple will also be a fruitful disciple. When he's using that vessel that he picked out specifically for that occasion, it's because it was the vessel that he wanted and because he had a result. God knew exactly what was going to happen, and he knew exactly why he chose the specific thing that he chose. He has fruit for you. He had fruit for Jeremiah. He never saw any fruit, but he has eternal fruit because he is an author of the book, two books in the Bible. And so he partakes of anyone that is you know, encouraged or, you know, by his words. So fruit always is incorporated in, the, in, in a true disciple. The chief purpose for using the disciple is to bear fruit for the glory of God. This speaks to the chief purpose of the existence of man, to glorify God. Yeah. Um, to be 
to glorify God and, and, and to be what he operates through on earth. That's what man is. Spiritual fruit deals with what our lives produce. Um, it validates if the believer is being governed by the spirit or if they're being governed, controlled by the flesh. You are fruitful in the spirit. You are not fruitful in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Being established in the word of God is synonymous with walking in the spirit. So walking in the spirit is fruitful. Being established in the word is fruitful. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the word of God, John 1.1 1, 1 and John 1.14, affirmed that abiding in him is the key to bearing fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. Um, John 15, uh, those verses I just referenced, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth. You know, there's a plant has a part of its life where, where things dry up, some things happen. And so he, he takes it away, and he grooms it, and he puts a new one here. Or this one's getting in the way of this one's branch, so he's going to fix that, and it's going to go out longer. He takes care of his plants so that they can be the most fruitful that they can be. Yeah. That's a disciple. Souls won to Christ through the preaching of the gospel by the disciple is the standard inter- interpretation of bearing much fruit unto God. It's the standard interpretation. There are other ways you can be fruitful. There are other ways you bear fruit. But typically, we're referring to people's lives affected through salvation by you being used of God. Yeah. You know, there are things... Um, yeah, there are other things. I'll get to them. Maybe I won't. It is God's work, and our, effect, our efforts um, will derail that. You know, it's... We can't be fruitful the same way that I can't be a faithful disciple. I can't follow him unconditionally. I can't be fruitful for Jesus. It's in my dependence and submission to the Spirit. It's in my dependence and submission to the Word of God. It's in my dependence and submission to the local body. And those things, all three together, being a disciple of Christ, that I'm able to bear fruit. I can't, I can't bear fruit in the flesh. No, I wouldn't say that. Essential to the call of discipleship was the promise that he would make them fishers of men. He would make them fruitful in their effort of fishing through men. That's why people talk about salvation. you angry? Okay. You look mad at me. How dare you? How dare you take so long? Uh, <laughs> you look so mad at me. Uh, The disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is always preoccupied with being useful to him and fruitful to him. This looks like salvations. It looks like decisions made to follow him. It looks like worshiping him. It looks like leading others in worship to him. It looks like praising him. And it looks like investing in people. It looks like speaking that word they needed to hear that God gave you. It's, It's that hug that somebody needed. It's that voice who the visitor needed. All those things are a part of you bearing fruit for Jesus. You being useful as the vessel he, he designed. Are you ready to abide in, to live your life in Christ so that he can be lived in and through you? That's Mark 6. Go back and read the verses. Did I miss a blank there? No. Okay. Okay, Mark 7. Hey, I told you. I still have three minutes, too. Amen. Amen, amen. Uh, 
the disciple, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, loves his people. John 13, 34 through 35, um, says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Um, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. In the Old Testament, God's people were commanded to love their neighbors as themselves, Leviticus 19, 18. Um, and then earlier in John 13, the Lord Jesus Christ had actually washed um, the disciples' feet. Um, and so it's always been, you know, God's always talked about love. That's what it's saying. Selfishness is one of the greatest... Ex- wait, 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 hang on. Sorry, 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 sorry. sorry. Selflessness, dying to self, is one of the greatest expressions of Christ's likeness. It is exactly what he did for you to be sitting here right now. He gave up himself. And so for you to be seeking after Christ's image, to be seeking after being a disciple of him, is to emulate what he looks like. To be a follower of him, to be a little Christ, a Christian. And so... It looks like dying to self. It's the most similar you can be to looking like Christ. Um, Romans 12, 9 through 10 says, let, um, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Ephesians 5, 2 says, And walk in love as Christ also, as Christ also hath loved us enough given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. <clears throat> Philippians 2, 3-4 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. The Bible's being pretty clear on what it expects from you, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Yeah. It expects you to put aside yourself because... You know, you've already decided that you need to be buried underground and no longer exist. Give up your life in order to even be sprouted, you know. You've already died. So the expectation is self, you know, it will, you'll constantly fight it. But the expectation is you're going to be willingly choosing and deciding to give up that old self. To constantly reject it, to push it back down, to choose Christ over and over again. To choose what he has for you over and over again. To choose your brothers and sisters over and over again because dying to self is the most Christ-like expression you have to offer. Yeah. The, the, the most familiar thing to Christ, the, the way I can be Christ for you guys, is, you know, if ever presented the opportunity, somehow a bullet was going to be shot to all of you, or you actually, no, the most thing would be like, you all actually did something really horrible, like, you all really deserved to die, but I'm like, hey, just kill me instead, somehow that'll, you know, take care of all of it for all of you guys, and so they take me, they take me and torture me, and, you know, really horrible things to me, and then all you guys just get to do whatever you want. That would be the most Christ-like thing I could do. But that's your commandment, is to give up yourself constantly. To always choose, hey, I don't have myself anymore. I have Christ, and I have this commandment to love. So I'm going to love. Constantly choose that. You exist to build up, bless, and back up the body of Christ in love. Um, 
So the body, the, the, the finger has to be on page with the rest of the body. The finger has to love what the body's doing in order for to even be a part. You, as a part of the body of Christ, have, have to be loving the rest of whatever's going on because it doesn't matter what part of who you are, you, you, are, all, you are all as one body doing something. Um, so you are designed to benefit the body, to, to be a part of what it's doing, to love the body. Can you say that you love what Jesus loves? Can you say that you are ready to give your life loving the church, to give up your goals, to give up um, you know, the, the, all these things, um, to be for the body, to be for Jesus Christ? Can you say that you're ready to count the cost? Can you say, as you review this material, work through every mark, work through the questions, read through the verses, the Bible says it better than I say it. (laughs) The Bible said all these things. Look through those verses, because what they're saying, what they're asking you to do, is count the cost. Do you really want to be a disciple? Because odds are, half, I don't know, half this room, 20 years later, Myself included, I'm including myself in this. Half this room will, in modern day terms and times, will decide that, you know, um, it's not worth it. We'll decide that, you know, Sundays used to be really cool. I used to be all hyped about Jesus and I was brainwashed and everyone else was talking about it and I was doing cool things. But, you know, my kid really isn't into basketball and really has a shot of getting a scholarship. So, we're going to go to practices on Sunday mornings now. Or, you know, I have family that, that that's what they did. They discipled missionaries. They, mm-hmm. they discipled people that were a part of you know, being so fruitful in, in, in like Central America. But now if you look at them, you know, who are you guys? And that, that's the point. They weren't ever anybody. But I'm saying that you can be anyone that you're never safe. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's like you don't just count the cost. And it's a permanent effect. We have to keep counting the cost. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, yeah, that's the seven marks.